Welcome to Mission in 5, the podcast where we ask a handful of questions to ministry practitioners to learn more about who they are and where they see God moving in their community. I am your host, Greg Manuel. And every week, through my work with the Churches Helping Churches, ABC Nebraska, my ongoing writing projects, and serving as a faculty mentor to seminary students, I get to partner with Christian leaders, entrepreneurs, missionaries, and ministers of the church in a variety of contexts. I am always amazed at the many and varied ways that God works in our individual communities and when multiple churches network together for mission and ministry. So, that's the purpose of this podcast, to share the stories of people participating in God's mission in Nebraska, across the country, and around the world. This season, we are meeting with our friends and global servants with international ministries. My hope is that we learn how we can partner with them by supporting their ministry efforts around the world, but also how we can utilize their gifts and talents as partners in our local churches as well. So be sure to check out the show notes for links to their ministry and how you can contact them. My guest today is Melanie Begal, a former middle school teacher who now serves as an IM Global Servant in partnership with the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary of the Lebanese Society for Educational and Social Development. Melanie is also a student in the seminary's Master in Religion program, where she is focusing on learning the Arabic language and culture, building relationships, and preparing for future ministry in Arabic-speaking cultures. In her ministry apart from the seminary, Melanie also partners with Syrian refugees and other immigrant people to provide food, medical care, and help them navigate their new lives in Lebanon in a program called InSoft. She is currently on her short-term PR furlough into the United States, raising awareness and support for her ministry in Lebanon before she returns in January 2023. Welcome to the show, Melanie. We're glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Well, our format is simple enough. We're going to ask you five simple questions to learn more about who you are and where you see God moving in your community. So just to begin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Yeah, so I'm Melanie. I was born and raised in Southern California to um, an Amer- uh, sorry, an Asian American family. We're Filipino American, okay. um, and actually, before I headed out to Lebanon, I taught middle school English and history for ten years, wow. um, sixth grade. So that was super fun and. Yeah, I love anything nature related. Uh, I love walking um, in my downtime, especially in Lebanon. Um, I'm really into Korean dramas. <laughs> so, uh, Korean dramas? I, I, Korean dramas, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, happened to recruit a number of friends there into watching them. It's um, <laughs> a great break. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's fun. I was I, I don't know if you know this. I I actually lived in South Korea for five years. Oh, you did. I, okay. When I was a kid, and um, we watched many of the. Now that was the nineties. Okay, so oh I yeah, think so, any of those yeah. shows are still on. Of yeah. Course. Um. Actually, my my favorite English speaking quasi Korean drama is actually uh something that was on Netflix. It's about this this family that moved to Toronto. And they're like Korean immigrants to Toronto. And it's just kind of them having this general store. And it's their life. Oh, yeah. I know what show you're talking about. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun. It's, it's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit about uh, becoming a teacher. What was that about? What, what drew you to teaching? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of tied to just um, going out in the field as well. Uh, so... The story is that I came home from my first day at preschool and I told my mom that I wanted to be like 
Miss Ladine, my preschool teacher, and maybe it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I don't know, but it just kind of stuck. And then um, grew up uh, in a very mission-minded church and went on short-term mission trips. And uh, at a young age, I felt like God was calling me, inviting me into being a part of missions, whatever that looked like. Yeah. And so um, I ended up going to a private Christian school and I was hi highly advised by um like my youth leader at the time that I probably should learn a skill. I should bring a skill with me right. abroad. And so teaching just stuck. And so I ended up getting my teaching credential and I didn't want to teach though in America at all. So I actually tried <laughs> to apply for jobs in um, Cairo, Egypt, which is kind of part of my background. I did a study abroad there uh, during college. So I took my teacher credential there and I said, I'm ready to teach. I have this credential. And I was uh, turned uh, away, mainly because I just didn't have any classroom experience right. in America. And so they said, well, why don't you teach for a few years before you come on back? And so um, I was intending to just teach for two or three years and two or three years ended up turning into 10 years in Southern California. But um, I had a wonderful time. And uh, then I was able to use that uh, where I am now in, in Lebanon, where I teach English. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a training season for you longer mm -hmm. than you expected. So tell us then about that transition. How did you move from, from having a real heart for mission from an early age, real heart for teaching from an early age into partnering with IAM as a global servant and, and being in your current ministry context? Yeah. So, I mean, after teaching for 10 years, I was kind of wondering like, God, what were you, what was that calling way back when all about? Yeah. And since then, I went on a few more short-term trips just to kind of dabble in it and, and see. And while I was teaching, I was also working with refugees from the Middle East in Southern California, teaching English on the side. And I was really enjoying that. But yeah, I was kind of just holding both uh, staying in the States and continuing to teach and then possibly going abroad and exploring that whole path. Um, equally in both hands um, before the Lord. And I just said, well, you know, I'm going to, I know myself, I know that um, if I don't do anything about this, I'm going to continue to just question and, and maybe 20 years down the line, I might regret not seeing, I don't know where that was going to take me. And along that process of kind of knocking on doors and, and wrestling with God about that call and stuff at any point I was open to, well, you could just shut it down. You could turn my heart. You can, mm. um, you know, make it clear, but I'm just going to continue to walk until you, you do something about that. So that's when I started to look into other agencies working in the Middle East and uh, a huge place where <laughs> I also uh, looked at for agencies is Urbana or the Urbana yeah. Missions Conference. Yeah. And uh, I, I've, went once before as a college student. And I always thought, well, it'd be great to go back again when um, I'm really serious about this. And I have all of these organizations under one roof. So I did, that was, um, I did go December of like 2013. And at that point I was talking to two other organizations and I just felt like they were really large. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Urbana. I'll talk face to face to them, like with them at their booths. And that didn't go over so well, but I turned a corner and I found the international ministries booth, which is really interesting because my small uh, home church in Southern California is an American Baptist church, but 
I didn't know anything about international ministries. Wow. Um, so I approached them and I just said, well, you know, I'm looking at their, their uh, map of wherever they have servants. And I said, oh, you know, you don't really have a lot of people in the Middle East, not like these other organizations I just like talked to. But, you know, this is my deal. I have a heart for that region. Uh, I want to learn Arabic. Um, and, you know, tell me what you're all about. And so I really fell in love with them. It was just a really great fit and uh, continued to walk that process with them. And at that time, I didn't know it was going to be Lebanon. I just said, you know, um, yeah, signing up with them and going through trainings and stuff. I, I really didn't know exactly where. I had a hunch it would be Lebanon just because we have yeah. longstanding partnerships with the Lebanese Baptists there. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being bit. Uh, Lebanon anyways, but like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I found I am. Very cool. Well, for, for, for our listeners who, who may not know, um, can you give us just kind of a broad description of, of maybe what is considered the Middle East and just really the amount of diversity that really exists there, honestly? I mean, it's not a monolithic culture, to be sure. They have some overlapping similarities, but they are unique in their own way. So um, tell us a little bit, what is what, what do you consider the Middle East and then what makes Lebanon unique within the region? Yeah, so the Middle East includes uh, North Africa, North African countries stre stretching from Morocco, which borders the Atlantic Ocean, all the way kind of, you know, the countries that are bordering uh, the Mediterranean, so Tunisia, Egypt. And then when you get to like Palestine, Israel, uh, Lebanon borders, mm -hmm. um, Palestine, Israel, and then head a little bit east as well. You'll get into Iraq, um, and uh, some people consider Iran to be, you know, the Middle East as well. And and then it gets a little fuzzy in there, like yeah. some of the other countries that you want to, you know. But um, mainly, uh, they're characterized by uh, Arab people, people who speak the language Arabic, which is actually very broad there's lots of different dialects uh spoken colloquial dialects yeah. in each of those countries so it's not um like it's really hard for uh, i've had moroccan students and it's very hard for me to speak with them but you know they're speaking their moroccan arabic and then you know i've learned uh, lebanese so um there's kind of that uh, the majority of these countries are also muslim countries uh lebanon is very unique in the sense of we have 40%, I think, of the population is Christian. It's very high, high population of Christian. And when I say Christian, it's not Protestant or evangelical Christianity. We're talking about Catholic, Orthodox, Maronites, these very old, old historic um, types of, of strains of Christianity that might seem very, very foreign to us um, as North Americans, uh, but also very rich. And Lebanon is super tiny. Um, you could drive the length of it, north and south, um, within, I don't know, less than three hours. Wow. Um, so yeah, yeah. And uh, so we're 40% Christian, then 60% Muslim. And the Muslims that live in Lebanon, again, is also very unique. About half of them are Sunni Muslims, which is the majority of the Muslims you'll find all over the world. And then half of that is Shia Muslims. And this is a type of Islam that comes out of Iran and um, and they don't get along. There's lots of wars and conflict between both of those different groups. So uh, 
Lebanon is kind of just at a crossroads of just history. There's been, they're, they're known to be, that was the land of the Phoenicians. Uh, so they would send their ships all around the Mediterranean way yeah. back when. Um, they were conquered by Rome and all these other, I mean, Alexander the Great came through. And I mean, just lots of rich history. And then uh, in more recent times, it was a, a French colony. And so we have French influence. Most people there speak three languages, Arabic, English, and French. And so we have kind of that influence as well. So in some ways, compared to other places in the Middle East, it might feel a little bit more Western, more European. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there's definitely freedom of religion. People could change. um, If they choose to become a Christian, they could do that without, um, I mean, any legal, you know, from the government persecution or anything like that, which is also very rare. So, yeah. Wow. So with your work in in Lebanon, you're uh, in direct partnership with the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, Our executive minister, Robin, and a few of our Mm -hmm. pastors have visited there um, and and gotten to know some of the staff and leadership. I believe they met you when they were were there. Um, So so tell us a little bit about that work, if if you can, and then um, any other kind of Uh, global servant type partnerships that you have in in the area and and why you're uh, part of international ministries um, setting there in Lebanon. Yeah. So like I said, uh, American Baptist uh, international, I mean, sorry. Yeah. American Baptist international ministries. We have longstanding partnerships with the Lebanese Baptists and the Lebanese Baptists have um, about five or six different ministries under their umbrella. One of them being a seminary, the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary, where I teach English. Unfortunately, we are, everything's online um, because of COVID and stuff like that. But when I moved there seven years ago, we had classes in person and and it's a seminary that takes in students from all over the Arab world, not just Lebanese. Mm -hmm. They would come and study theology, become residential students, stay for three years on scholarship and get trained up and then go back to their home countries, which is absolutely beautiful. But the Lebanese Baptists also have ministries with um, local churches doing relief and development work. Uh, That's one uh, ministry under their umbrella. They also have a publishing house uh, where they translate books from other languages like English. Most of them are English. Mm-hmm. And then into Arabic, and then they distribute them. They also have a ministry among um, uh, special needs children and things like that. So really, the Lebanese Baptists are making a huge um, just ripple effect of just great, great ministry all, all across the board in Lebanon. Um, so they also have a Baptist school. Uh, for for kids um, up to I think twelfth grade or something. So and you asked a question. Oh, yeah. What was your question again? I'm not sure. If um, just you know, it. what are some other um, do, are, are there other ministry partnerships you have? Yeah, with, uh-huh. with the seminary. Um, I, I I do know of like uh, like you talked about s- some of the refugee work that the Baptist churches do there. Mm-hmm. I I remember hearing mm-hmm. about how a lot of them have. Um, as difficult as it as it has been, you know, some of the Syrian refugee crisis and things have come through Lebanon. Um, but I'm just curious, are, are there other yeah. things out of the seminary that you partner with as well? Yeah, so kind of unrelated to the seminary and loosely connected to the Lebanese Baptists is a ministry that I've got started to get 
more and more involved in, in the past couple of years, uh, beginning with the pandemic and then and then moving forward, actually beginning around the time of the blast, the Beirut blast, which was two years ago. Um, so it's a ministry among migrant domestic workers. These are uh, thousands and thousands of women who come from Asia, Southeast Asia and Africa, who come as maids to work in the homes of Lebanese. And this is very common um, in Lebanon, but actually really throughout the Middle East. Um, just if you are middle class, upper middle class, it's very common to have a maid from one of these countries. Well, um, we have a drop-in community center for them because they actually have no workers' rights mm. in Lebanon. And so um, sometimes, a lot of times they don't get paid. And especially now, since Lebanon is going through a very extreme economic crisis, the Lebanese don't even have money to pay these maids. So, uh, they're really struggling. And at the center, we've been able to offer food aid and offer prayer and counseling. And we have a weekly Bible study. And we also have computer classes and language classes. Um, just anything that could be a support to these women. We connect them with medical care, which is huge because they don't have money to go to hospitals and things like that. So um, that's a huge thing that I kind of do on the side when I'm not teaching online. Um, I've recently become the associate director of the Insoft Center. And uh, it's been a great blessing. It's just a pocket of people who are really underserved, um, especially in light of everything. There's a lot of relief that's already that's already been in place for the Syrian refugees. The Syrian refugees make up about a quarter of the population. Um, so one out of four people in Lebanon are Syrian refugees, but they they get you know all this help from churches, outside donors, organizations, and also the UN, um, which makes life, I mean, uh, life is not great for them, but again, just when you think of where resources are going and stuff, uh, God has led me to, this pocket of of people who are really um the least you know yeah. so yeah mm -hmm. so how are your arabic lessons going i've you mastered the language at this point i am conversational i still okay. take lessons part-time just to keep brushing up and stuff the thing about arabic is uh, we they have all of these dialects depending on where you live yeah. uh, locally, what spoken language, but then there is a formal Arabic uh, dialect that unites all of the countries, okay. and that's mainly found in like news and print media and stuff. And that I do not know, oh. so um, I just feel like I still have a while to go with my language learning journey yeah. uh, in Arabic. But yeah, it's coming. So 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 would would a possible similarity or comparison be like british english bbc being kind of a formal english around the world people watch this channel or american cnn kind of very flat midwestern no accent english and then there's australian accents and various dialects of english accents around the uk and i mean is, is that kind of what you're talking about or is it more like what we experienced with some of our burmese friends where they're very, very tribal uh, dialects that 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 have very little connection to one another. There's a few mm -hmm. words and, and things. Um, what, what would be a closer connection? Yeah, I think the first a little bit um, because okay. you can still pick out 
certain words and kind of yeah. make up things according to the context. I think with the print media, which is not spoken, um, it's okay. just reading. There's, I think from what I understand, there, there are some differences with like the grammar and syntax and stuff. And um, some of those words are a little bit more old fashioned than what you would be familiar with, with your, so it is, it's a little bit more challenging picking okay. that up. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. I've, yeah. I've done a little traveling. I've been in Israel a couple of times. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've been exposed to, to some Arabic cultures, Palestine specifically, um, mm -hmm. but not familiar with with being any of the other places. So very good. Thank you for telling me that. Uh, I, I know one of the other things that you are currently doing is you are a co-host of a podcast <laughs> called the uh, Provisions Table Conversations. Um, do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So my colleague, Crystal Engel, and I, I think Christy was just on your yeah. podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we started a podcast called Provisions and we just like it's all about gathering people from different countries, people living all around the world and um, having a short little conversation. Um, so very similar to what we are doing now, Greg, uh, just about food and culture and what do they enjoy about living in the place that they live in and what's their community like. And yeah, it's been really fun. We have, we've started with a lot of people we know. I mean, because we are, um, I am global servants. We do have friends that live all over the world, but then we also have some locals who we have uh, reached out to and interviewed and uh, it's been just really fun. I think our goal is we want people to know more about the world. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that could be really daunting. And especially if you're not able to, you know, hop on an airplane and, and do it physically and stuff like that. So, you know, having a conversation and turning on a podcast and listening for a few minutes of, you know, someplace different than where you live is just, um, yeah, something we decided to start. So it's cool. No, yeah. I think it's a great podcast, and um, we're going to throw a hyperlink at the show notes so everybody can also listen to Provisions Table Conversations with Christy and Melanie. So look forward to that. Um, tell us a little bit what you're doing now. Uh, right at the moment, you you are not in Lebanon. You are here. Yeah. yeah, so every so often, and it depends on each global servant, we have to come back and spend some time in the States visiting our supporting churches and supporters. And that's what I'm doing. So this we call it our uh, USPR home assignment. Some people know it as a deputation or a furlough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so last time I was here doing this was in 2019, so three years ago. And the world has changed. Lebanon has definitely changed sure. uh, three, three years ago doing this. So I have been here for about seven weeks. And uh, I still have a few more months to go. I'll be returning at the and no, sorry, take that back at the beginning of January, right after New Year's. So yeah, but it's been lots of traveling around. I'm currently at my brother and sister in law's house, which right, right now, which is really nice. So I get to visit um, you know, friends and family and have some downtime, but then also just get to travel around and tell people about what God's doing in Lebanon, which is really exciting. So yeah, very cool. Well, one of the questions we like to ask everybody is, is, is what's next? So, I mean, this could be for you personally or professionally, or just as you gear up to head back to Lebanon in January, but what, what do you, what's on the nearest horizon for you? Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to say. I, I'm, I'm going to go back and continue to do lots of the same, 
Um, I, the reason why I, I say it is kind of hard to say is that Lebanon is in a very volatile situation. It has been for the past three years now with our economic crisis and stuff. And so it will be interesting to see what I'm walking into and maybe just to give you some examples. Um, so I've been stateside for seven weeks now. And in the middle of uh, that time, my housemates had to pull the plug on our refrigerator because we were only getting one hour of electricity a day. Oh. Um, before I left, it was maybe four hours of electricity and that was manageable, kind of okay, but um, uh, you can't keep a refrigerator on if it's only going to turn on one hour. Uh, right. End of Ju July, when I left, there was absolutely no bread. There was no bread in the country. There was uh, the cheapest loaf of bread that normal Lebanese people eat. Um, that flour was not found in the country for about a couple weeks. Right. Uh, if people had money, like U.S. dollars, they could splurge on baguettes and croissants and all that kind of stuff. But um, so, again, about two or three weeks after I left, some of the first boats coming out of Ukraine with grain went straight to Lebanon. Um, so, I mean, it's and, and this is continuing. We are paying probably more than double for fuel in our cars today than we were a year ago. Uh, more than double, like it, it, the the inflation is really, really crazy. So it's hard to say, uh, you know, we're recording this middle of September, um, you know, in a few weeks when I return in January, just how things are going to uh, look like. So, I mean, uh, yeah, we're going to just kind of continue and see, if, you know, how God is going to use us. Uh, thank God we um, are having the resources to continue our center, to offer the food aid, to help pay for medicine that's super hard to find and things like that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it kind of weird. I, I really wish, and, you know, as a teacher, former teacher, like I'm a planner, I, I, I want to know sure. what's on the horizon and stuff like that. And just um, uh, for what it's worth, it's just been like this for quite some time where, um, we, we just don't make plans in Lebanon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to put, um, a news article link in the show notes about the financial crisis in Lebanon. Mm. And, and maybe mm. some of this, we'll, we'll find some other stories there to link to kind of catch people up on that. But, um, for, for those who, who maybe are unfamiliar, can you kind of catch us up on the last few years that brought us to this moment Yeah, that, yeah. So that, that we're aware yeah, so in the fall of 2019, uh, that October, the Lebanese took the streets and actually they had their own revolution and they were protesting the government. And didn't really do anything. People were just kind of dissatisfied. But between that time, October 2019, and then um, moving into 2020 and again, beginning of the pandemic and stuff like that, basically the corrupt government in Lebanon has been going into people's bank accounts and stealing their money. And now we have a bankrupt, bankrupt country. Mm. Um, between the years of 2018 and 2020, the size of the Lebanese economy shrunk by 40% and they <coughs> defaulted on their foreign debts um, or foreign loans. Uh, March of 2020. So it's been pretty dire. Um, basically, if you, 
I mean, most people are kind of familiar or catch wind of stuff going on in Venezuela and how the economic crisis has hit them in Venezuela. What took six years um, for Venezuela to experience in their economic crisis took us in Lebanon two years. Um, very rapidly, rapidly changing. And so um, pretty much uh, the local currency has devalued by 90%. So what that means is your take-home salary that you were earning back in 2019, uh, it, the spending power of that has devalued by 90%. Uh, the savings in your bank, uh, you've lost 90% of that. Um, very, it, I, I mean, I have nothing else to kind of compare it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of living in it as well, but uh, we've gone through seasons of bread lines or no bread. Uh, a few years ago, or I mean, last year, it was really hard to find basic things like pain reliever, Tylenol. We couldn't find it in the country. Um, now we can, but it's at a, a really high cost and, and things like that. So uh, be, yeah, I've been here seven weeks. And within this past seven weeks, I've heard of two examples of Lebanese citizens taking guns to the bank, holding up banks at gunpoint so that they could withdraw their own money out of their own bank accounts. That's kind of like just where, where it's going. Um, oh and so, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you know, the solution, I mean, if it was an easy solution, I think it would have been fixed by now. Again, the blast two years ago in August of 2020 didn't help that as well. Mm. But um, what really I mean, what normally, normally, quote, air quotes, happens with countries like this that are going bankrupt is that the International Monetary Fund would step in and offer loans to that country. And along with reforms and all of this kind of stuff, austerity measures and try to rebuild the country that way. Well, unfortunately, the politicians and the government in Lebanon is so corrupt. The Interman International Monetary Fund doesn't trust the country of Lebanon to manage that money. So unless there is a huge difference in the, the political leadership of the country and stuff, uh, we're just kind of in this holding pattern. Um, yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So there's a food shortage and in, in, in specifically grains and, and these sort of things. There's power as a problem. Um, there's refugees from yeah. all over the place. Um, there's a lot going on. You're you're, you continue to work with the, the school and, and all these relief efforts. Um, how can we as American Baptists then partner with you? What, what can we do to support you and, and the work that um, global servants are doing in, in Lebanon and in the Middle East? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the typical answer is, you know, continue to um, support us financially and also prayerfully. And uh, I mean, I know it sounds really trite and some people might be listening to this going, oh gosh, it's another global servant, like, you know, asking for the same things. I, I just want to say that it, it is actually really important. Um, I mean, the, the reason why, you know, the Insoft Center or even the seminary could continue to stay standing as a, a beacon of hope and offer resources and, and, and just stay there, stay present um, through these hard economic times is because there are um, financial supporters, you know, God is so good and so generous. And yeah. so that is, that is really, really huge. I mean, I, uh, I've never lived, had to live through an economic crisis uh, at this level. So, 
I, I don't ever. Um, yeah. And yet I can, I mean, I, I can because God has provided that through churches like yours in Nebraska and all over the States. Um, and I wanted to touch a little bit on the whole prayer part um, that, you know, I, it's weird when I've been in numerous situations where I'm literally sitting in the dark because I have no power. Um, I've been in times where I can't get to ministry. I can't drive to the seminary. I can't drive to the in soft center because I have no fuel. Um, I can't keep leftovers in my fridge. I mean, these are times where it's really hard to just, you know, like God, if I can't get to the places I do ministry and stuff, I can't, I, I don't have internet to, you know, do these yeah. things. Um, you know, what can I do? And I think it's those real, I mean, literally darkest time moments, but really like emotionally, physically, mentally darkest times where it's the prayers of many who are coming alongside me. Uh, and many of them are, are strangers, but also just part of the family of Christ that encourages me um, and to not give up and, and, you know, want to book a flight home and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know, and to have the capacity and the energy uh, to think creatively and also to just to lean into the spirit a little bit more during those times of, okay, what can I be doing? Um, you know, when, when it's all the normal, again, air quotes, things that I've been able to do in ministry um, aren't there because I don't have the resources to do it. So, um, I mean, I, I just really want to highlight that for your churches in Nebraska to know that that's super, super important. Um, mm -hmm. Like we, we need you guys <laughs> in that, in that way. Um, I'm trying to ask myself, you know, um, how we, how someone like I, you know, a global servant in Lebanon could be a resource for you. And, mm. um, I think that, you know, I mean, I'm an American and I know how it's like living in America and for better, for worse, it, sometimes it could feel like a bubble. You know, we have our own, you know, examples of inflation. Sure. It's not like Lebanon. We have many, many needs in our own neighborhoods and stuff like that. And um, I, I take very serious about like, just as much as I am called to be in Lebanon and do the ministry that I'm doing, um, people here in their local context, wherever they're at, are also called to be missional as well. Yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of differences in maybe the places that we live, but some of the nuts and bolts about just being missional people or following God's invitation to reach out, I think are still the same, uh, no matter what context. And so in that way we can, we can, you know, uh, talk about it. You know, we yeah. can compare notes, uh, and, and things like that. We can encourage one another, yeah. um, because I know it's not easy as well, um, to be here and, and to, to live into that invitation. Um, so, yeah. No, that's that's really good, and 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 I think another thing that that you can give us is that just that spirit of um, uh, fortitude and and doggedness, you know, just mm. like you talked about that mental and emotional spiritual strength it takes to keep going when when things are difficult, and um, you know, give us some perspective even on that bubble situation, mm -hmm. like you know, this is our life, and and it is 
our context and some days it's hard in our space and you know you, you can't just say well it's always harder for somebody else somewhere else well, sure that yeah. makes everything better because it's still it's still hard for you here now whatever your reality is um but i think giving uh having these types of conversations giving one another the encouragement they need in whatever challenges they're facing in their space and and being able to relate to that and, and understand that god is moves it seems like in those moments and when everything's okay and everything's easy maybe less so you know yeah, and it yeah. just forces us to rely all the more on god when things are difficult and challenging and to to be able to share the gospel in in different ways um in those spaces yeah so yeah. so thank you for for sharing your story on that and and opening yourself up to, to just the challenges that you face and your roommates are facing and all the people of Lebanon are facing and, 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 and the refugees are facing, yeah. you know, it, it's just, wow. I mean, it's, it's amazing what God's doing, but it's also amazing that, that you're there to be the hands and feet and to reveal to those around you, how big a God you, you really do serve. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you. Melanie, for, for being uh, a guest on Mission in Five. Uh, everybody go listen to Provisions as well. Um, check out Melanie's information on the International Ministries website. You can find that there under the um, Global Mission tab and then Global Servants, and she'll be listed there on the left-hand column. Learn more about her. There's a newsletter there and to sign up and then our bulletin insert for your churches so that you can put that in there and people can be praying for her and, and be able to contact her through through IM and her email and all that kind of stuff. So thank you so much again for, for being here. And Thanks, um, we will continue to be prayer partners with you and find ways to partner with you in mission and ministry here with our churches in Nebraska. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mission in 5, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you will be notified every time we produce a new episode, introducing you to another ministry practitioner or missionary engaging in God's mission and their unique context, whether it be in Nebraska, around the country, or somewhere else in the world. If you like the guests and the content, take a moment to rate and review the podcast on your favorite streaming platform and share it with your friends and family on your larger social media networks. Check out the show notes for links and contact information to every single one of our guests and some current events and other links to news articles and things that might impact their mission and ministry. Send us ideas on who you'd like us to interview for future episodes and feel free to support us by giving through PayPal on our abcnebraska.com website. Thanks everybody. Have a great day.